Well, again, good morning and welcome this uh, second Sunday of Advent, uh, which also means that it is the second sermon in our Advent series, where we are looking at the four Christmas songs found in the first couple of chapters of Luke's Gospel. And of course, this is a season of singing, uh, lots of songs, uh, beautiful that we have already heard from voices this morning from our children as well as adults. Uh, We get to sing different songs this time of year. And of course, there are also Christmas classics uh, that come on television that people love to to watch, most of them pretty sentimental, but uh, almost all of them fun. And as I was thinking through those great Christmas classics, one that came to my mind as I was preparing the sermon is the modern classic, Elf. (laughs) Because in this important Christmas classic, we learn the very important code of the elves. Three guidelines to promote Christmas spirit. Number one, treat every day like Christmas. Number two, There's room for everyone on the nice list. And number three, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. (laughs) Amen. Well, the gospel writer Luke understands this as well. He gets it. Well, at least I would say he would agree with number three. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Because when you get down to it, one of the things that that sets Luke's gospel apart, one of the things that distinguishes it, is that he begins the story of Jesus with four Christmas songs. uh, Four beautiful and profound songs of the Savior. Uh, These are songs that we come back to again and again and again in the life of the church during the Advent season. Uh, Last week, Mary's song. Uh, this week, Zechariah's. Uh, next week, we will look at this, the angel song, and then the final week, the song of Simeon. And so for today, Zechariah's song, also known as the Benedictus, uh, which I'll explain later. We're going to be reading, and we'll find that in Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 57 through 80, uh, which you will find beginning on page 856 if you're using the Bible under the chair in front of you. And today, one of the things that we're going to see is the power of God's salvation to change people. To change people. Uh, Not not only those who have yet to believe and are brought to believe, uh, but also those who already believe and yet also still struggle to believe. Still struggle to, to take God at His word. And so that brings us to our passage, uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 80. Uh, But let's pray before we hear God's word. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for coming to us, for revealing yourself to us in Jesus, for making yourself known through your word. And so we would ask now that you would please open your word to us and us to your word. And it's in Jesus we pray. Amen. So I invite you to hear the word of God. 
uh, from Luke chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And so they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country in Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, you child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And this is the word of God given to us for our good and his glory. And so let's turn to it now. And today as we journey through this passage, we're going to look at it in three parts. And actually if you just look at the way that it's laid out before you, uh, that's how, how Luke uh, has put it together. Uh, we see a birth and a couple of blessings. And so we're going to look at the birth of John the Baptist, the blessing of the Savior, and the blessing of a son. The birth of John the Baptist, the blessing of, a, of the Savior, and the blessing of a son. And so birth. Let's begin with the birth of John the Baptist, uh, verses 57 to 60, 66. So the, the story picks up, verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and the neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Stop. Okay, let's stop here, because if you are like me, 
It is so easy to just read past these words. If you've been in the church for any time, you've probably read over them dozens of times. And it is so easy to miss the magnitude here. Uh, to, to miss the miracle that's unfolding right before our very eyes. Because we are talking about a barren old woman. Something that we learned earlier in chapter 1. A barren old woman married to a very old man. Both old enough to be grandparents, if not even great-grandparents, and they have never been able to have a child. In fact, probably something that they gave up on decades ago at this point. But as we saw last week, the angel said to Mary, uh, when speaking to Mary about Elizabeth, the angel said, verse 36, Behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. A barren old woman, a painful years of, of shattered dreams, a shame within the community, and suddenly an impossible conception, per se, an impossible birth. There had been, had been, of course, long months of, of pregnancy and then these hard hours of labor. And now, now the angel's promise, God's promise, was fulfilled. The impossible had been made possible. So back at the, uh, at the start of the year, uh, back in, in January, uh, my grandmother uh, passed away at the ripe old age of 101. Now... That's old. That's very old. And I got to visit her often, or, or I should say multiple times, in her uh, assisted living area. And there were a lot of other old people there as well. Now, imagine, if you will, for just a moment, that she had been a barren old woman just a few years earlier in a small town in this assisted living environment, and she'd just given birth. Yeah, I mean, ridiculous, absurd. And that's the point. It's the absurdity of grace. As the angel foretold, Elizabeth gave birth to a son in her old age. And everyone came out to rejoice in what the Lord had done. The impossible has been made possible. The promises of God are coming true. Well, the story continues. Verse 59. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And so it's the eighth day, and according to, to God's law, it's time for the baby boy to be circumcised, uh, to be given the sign of the covenant that God had made uh, with Abraham. Zechariah and, and Elizabeth, they believe God's promise of salvation. And so by faith, they present their child to God. Well, it's also, as you can see, time for the baby boy to be given his name. And everyone expects it's going to be Zechariah. I mean, that was the custom. And I mean, come on, this is probably going to be your only kid. So let's stick with custom. Give him the family name. This, this is going to be Zechariah Jr., little ZJ running around. <laughs> And Elizabeth says, no, 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 no. His name is John. 
Okay. The people say, I'm not sure labor's been a little too hard for her. Let, let's move on. We'll, we'll ask the father. Th this is crazy. So th they, they turn to the father thinking he's going to be more reasonable. Now notice, verse 62, that it, it takes some work to communicate with dad. Now, do, do you remember why? Okay, if you go back to the beginning of chapter 1, Zechariah was earlier silenced by the angel. He was silenced because the, by the angel because he had not believed God's word. He had not believed the promise that God had given to him that he would have a son in his old age. And so it's interesting to note as, as we read here that apparently Zechariah can neither hear nor speak. And that's actually what, what the Greek word connotes, a complete and total silence for at least the last nine months. So he is deaf as well as mute, or, or else the people would not have, have had to make signs to him, hand gestures to figure out, you know, what he wanted. And, you, you know, you might think for a moment about Helen Keller, early years, early childhood, lost in a silent darkness, alone, frustrated, scared. Now, now Zechariah's experience wasn't that extreme, but his his inability to speak and, and to hear, it was difficult in its own right. And so Zechariah motions for the tablet, and he confirms, verse 63, his name is John. John, not, not a name chosen by Zechariah or Elizabeth, not a name approved by the people, by the relatives around them, but a name given to him by God. Marking this child as something special. And you know, names mean something in the Bible. They're, they're a big deal in the Bible. I want you to listen to, to how the names in just chapter 1, just this first chapter of Luke's gospel, how they are already telling the gospel story in and of themselves. The name Zechariah means God remembers. Elizabeth means God is faithful. John means God is merciful. And Jesus, the name above all names, means God saves. And so just in the names at the beginning, we learn God remembers. God is faithful. God is merciful. And God saves. Well, at the very moment that Zechariah wrote the name John. His silence ended and the celebration began. Verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And that leads to the next section. So let's go there. Blessing Let's move from the birth of John the Baptist to the blessing of the Savior. Uh, verses 67 to 75. Uh, verse uh, 67, we see that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and so he sings, he's filled with the Spirit, and he sings praise and prophecy. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Zechariah's hymn is often called the Benedictus, uh, meaning blessing. It's the song's first word in, in the Latin translation. In verses 68 to 75 are what's known as, as the Benedictus proper. So that's the actual blessing of God. 
And this is what he sings. Picking back up again, verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And so like the Magnificat, Mary's song from last week, like the Magnificat, the Benedictus begins with a word of praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Blessed be the Lord God for what? Well, for all that, that follows in these next few verses. And, and summarized, summarized in this opening statement. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has visited and redeemed his people. God has come near. Zechariah is singing, God has come here. And so given the events that have been unfolding so far, it is clear to Zechariah that the promised time of salvation has begun. And so Zechariah blesses the Savior. This blessing, it's all about salvation. With John is the forerunner preparing the way for the Lord. Just as our children sang this morning. Preparing the way for the Lord Jesus. Well, we read, verse 69, that God has raised up a horn, a horn of salvation. Now, what does that mean? Okay, well, well it, it takes us back into some Old Testament imagery, uh, symbolizing an animal's strength and power. Uh, you might think of a, of a mighty beast, an ox or a ram, and, and the horns, something to be feared, something strong and mighty. And you know, I mean, it's symbolism that's relevant for us today. I mean, it's used in advertising and branding. Uh, In fact, uh, last month we had one of our Red Cross blood drives. And every time that that Red Cross comes over, they bring all of their equipment in this this very large, heavy-duty Dodge truck. And and they back it up onto the the front walkway right out here. And so I I was going to lunch that day, and and I walked out the the doors and, and down the walkway, and there's this truck. And on the back of the truck, staring at me eye to eye, is this huge silver emblem. It's a ram. It's a Dodge Ram. Ram tough. It's about the size of two fists. And I see that, and I'm going, yeah, it's about strength and power. And I mean, that's just a glimpse of, of what is going on here in Zechariah's song. We see that this Savior is a mighty Savior. That in this symbol, this horn of salvation, that this is a Savior who faces all of our enemies with assertion and force. Ultimately defending and defeating. Ram tough. A mighty salvation from a mighty Savior. Well, further, as Philip Ryken states... 
Salvation is not a human invention, but a divine visitation. It's not a human invention, but a divine visitation. In other words, it's not something we achieve by going to God, but something that God has done by coming to us. Coming to us in Christ. No one is saved except by the grace of God. And so Zechariah sings, sings of God's gracious salvation as a fulfillment of God's gracious promises. In verses 69 and 70, Zechariah speaks of King David and the ancient prophecies about God's Messiah, the Christ. Then verses 71 and 72, Zechariah reaches all the way back, all the way back to Abraham, to God's holy covenant with Abraham, that all nations would be blessed through him, would be saved through a son. And it's all coming true. Jesus is the Savior, the Savior that God had promised from the very beginning. And Zechariah blesses the Savior through a song of salvation. Well, if you remember at the beginning, I mentioned that there are, there are actually two blessings here. There's, a, there's another one as well. So let's shift to the third part of the passage. The other blessing. Let's move to the blessing of a son. Verses 76 to 79. So after blessing the Savior, now Zechariah turns and blesses his son. And I, and I want us to hear again the last part of this passage. The last part of, of Zechariah's song. And, and I want you to keep something in mind. Okay, remember that, that for most of his life, this man who is now very, very old, did not even think he would ever have a child. Again, had given up on that decades ago, most likely. And then when he finds out the good news, his voice is taken from him. He is silenced. So he cannot even celebrate this pregnancy. And now he's not even going to have the joy of being able to celebrate the birth of his son or even bless him. But now he has a child. And now he has been given his voice back. Imagine the emotion in this old man's voice as he turns to look at his newborn son. So here again, picking back up with verse 76. Looking at his child, he says, And you, you child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. Beautiful, powerful words. And here Zechariah blesses his son John based on the very promises of God. Believing the very promises of God. Heralding this child as a special forerunner. With a special calling who would prepare the way. A prophet who would prepare the way for the Lord Jesus. He would prepare the way by preaching the message of salvation. 
which is the rest of the song. And so salvation. What, what do we learn in particular about salvation here in just these few verses? Well, the salvation uh, Zechariah proclaims, it was not simply rescue uh, from earthly enemies, which is what people were looking for and were wanting, but he is, he is declaring, he is singing that more importantly, this is deliverance from sin and death. That sin will not have the last word and death will not have the last word. John was called, as it says, and I quote, to give knowledge of salvation to God's people. To give knowledge of salvation to God's people in the forgiveness of their sins. You see, at the very heart of salvation is the forgiveness of sins. More than anything else, we need a right relationship with God. You need it. I need it. Our friends need it. Our enemies need it. More than anything else, we need a right relationship with God, which only comes through the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness that is ours through faith in Jesus. The forgiveness that is ours through the cross of Christ, through the death of Jesus for sinners like you and like me. When we put our trust in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, all sin is forgiven. All. All sin is forgiven. And why? All because of God's mercy. As Zechariah sings, verse 78, it is all because of the tender mercy of our God. Now, does that strike a chord with you this morning? Or has it just become all too familiar that it can just easily roll off? Again, I want you to think about the man singing these words. Because Zechariah knows very personally, he knows very personally this forgiveness of sin because of the tender mercy of God. Earlier in in chapter 1, Zechariah is affirmed as a righteous and godly man, one who has been a faithful servant for many years, one who looks and trusts in God by faith. And yet, we see that Zechariah still struggles, still struggles to to trust God, to take Him at His word. Again, the very reason reason that he was silenced, we know for nine months. He didn't know for how long. But God remains faithful. Growing Zechariah during that time, not only was something growing in his wife, but something was growing in him. He was growing in understanding who God is. God was growing within him a deeper sense of, of repentance and faith and a fresh obedience, a fresh trust in God. Forgiving his sins because of his tender mercy. And God remains faithful to you and to me, too. And so, friends, no matter how long you have been a Christian, no matter how good and righteous you are, how many years you've been in the church, you should be honest about your struggles 
and doubts and failures. Zechariah shows us that we should continually turn to God, that we should continually turn to Jesus and know afresh the forgiveness of our sins because of the tender mercy of our God toward us who struggle to believe. Because you see, it's, it's then and only then that we, that we will truly know the joy that is experienced in this story in this true story, in the greatest story, where John the Baptist makes ready a people, preparing them for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus, where John is the prophet of the Most High, and Jesus is the bright morning star, the sun rising to cast out the darkness and lighting the path of peace to God. John prepares the way Jesus is the way. And so, brothers and sisters, this month, this month, let's rejoice. Let's rejoice in God's great gift of salvation, the impossible made possible. This Advent season, let's reflect. Let's reflect on the beauty of the incarnation, the God who would come to us. Who would become one of us coming near, coming here to rescue us? This Christmas, let's remember. Let's remember the great blessing of Jesus who has visited and redeemed his people. And who's coming back? His second advent. And who's coming back to make all things new? Amen?